The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Right after a few more messages, we'll have Common Ground Radio with your host, Cheryl Wixon. Support for WERU comes from Harry Brown's Farm, Starks, Maine, where there is music in the cafe at night and revolution in the air. Dig at harryshill.net and Facebook, Harry Brown's Farm. The WERU Farm Fresh Live Radio Auction has sprouted. On June 6th, you can call in to bid on 53 items donated by 46 farms, markets, fisher folk, and food producers. Johnny Selected Seeds is the auction sponsor, and all proceeds benefit WERU Community Radio. Everything is described and listed in bidding order at www.weru.org. A season of fresh local foods is waiting for your bids during the WERU Farm Fresh Live Radio Auction on air Thursday, June 6th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Support for Common Ground comes from Inner Tapestry, New England's holistic publication supporting people in their discovery of spiritual wisdom, holistic health, green living, and the celebration of life. Featuring articles, calendar listings, and a directory of community resources. Available in print and online at innertapestry.org. Morning and welcome to Common Ground, an hour-long discussion of farming, food, and agriculture here in the wonderful state of Maine, hosted by the Maine Organic Gardeners and Farmers Association. No, did I have that right? Maine Organic <laughs> Farmers and Gardeners Association. My gracious, I had too much peanut butter bar. Uh, I'm Cheryl Wixon, and I work for the Maine Organic Farmers doing organic marketing. And our show this morning is going to be very appropriate on spring garden chores. This past week of beautiful weather has got all of us, I'm sure, itching to get out and working, work in our gardens. And we, we have a great lineup, some, some special guests in the studio this morning. And I'm joined by... Uh, Diane Shavera, our livestock specialist, and I know that livestock provides valuable nutrients to our soil. Right. Gene <laughs> English, the uh, astonishing and wonderful editor of our paper, and B.D. Parker, I think you've been with, uh, you're celebrating many anniversaries. I'm dinosaur. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not a dinosaur. You're a wonderful relic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shoot. So let's just talk a little bit about what's going on around in the state today or what's been happening in the past few, in the past few days. Diane, what's happening? Well, I was at a meat conference. Um, that's what they titled it. It was in Concord, New Hampshire last March, the 22nd and 23rd. And it was really exciting because they were expecting maybe 100 plus people for the two days of conference. And they actually got closer to 300, which was really very encouraging. A lot of, a lot of people that were producing meat. Um, they actually had a, a the uh, evening entertainment was called the meatball. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a dancing and, and uh, amazing uh, cut-ups done um, right on the dance floor. So um, actually of a meat, they put tarps underneath, but it was uh, a big uh, fancy slaughter procedure that was done. Um, but anyway... Um, they had tracks for producers and processors and chefs so they had people from all aspects of of the meat industry there represented and speaking about different things so that was really really great very inspiring 
Um, and the other things coming up are there's the New England Livestock Expo. Is um, let's see, it's um, the weekend of the. Hold on here, um, 17, 18, and 19. Um, and that's at the Windsor Fairgrounds. There'll be events. There's um, a feeder calf sale, and they're actually Friday. They're going to do a lot of work with with students. Um, uh, and they're having a lot of class uh, class participation from kids um, in that area. A few schools are bringing students in. So that'll be really a change for that event. Um, usually it's just been farmers and folks that are interested in buying That's livestock. So, And then the other thing is, is on the first weekend in June is the fiber frolic, also at Windsor Fairgrounds. So anybody who's interested in fiber animals or buying fleeces or wool or anything like that that's a great place to go and stock up for your activities for the winter well we certainly have a lot going on around the state i know many farmers markets are starting to open up uh the orono farmers market is uh this is a big weekend for them ellsworth this is the first uh, weekend that they're opening for their summer market series, uh, Blue Hill. So folks that if you're interested in getting a little tired of some of those root vegetables and want some of those spring green things, I heard a rumor that there might be some fiddleheads popping up these days. And I know my asparagus are about two inches out of the ground. So I know those things will be coming soon. So if, and all these types of uh, events and activities, you can find out more information on um, our website, uh, www.mofka.org. So I think this is a very appropriate topic this morning to be talking about spring garden chores. And maybe, uh, uh, Jean and uh, Beattie, you might just tell us a little bit about why you folks are so appropriate to be speaking to this. And <laughs> Go ahead, Jean. Um, Beattie's deferring to me. <laughs> Not really sure. But <laughs> We were available today. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, because I begged them nicely. <laughs> and they're both doing a great job, and they've been doing it for a long time, working yeah. in their gardens. And Beattie so. has a beautiful one, and so does Jean. So. Well, Beattie and I are both home gardeners, and we get a lot of our produce from our own garden. We try to make it last the garden go as long as possible from spring to fall and overwinter some things. So right now we're working the soil, um, trying to keep ahead of weeds before they come up, turning soil over. And I think both of us do a lot of soil fertility by adding grass clippings and leaves. So beds where we have that, we might be turning it under or just pulling it back so that we can plant. Just to set the stage a little bit for folks, Jean, just give us a look. I've never actually had the opportunity to visit your place. Just tell me, you know, where, where you're located, you know, and what's when we say... You say you're a home gardener. What type of scale and, and how what your setup is? Uh, I live in Lincolnville. It's a Zone 5 garden. It's about 3,500 square feet for the vegetable garden, which also includes uh, raspberries. Mm -hmm. So I have beds that are about two and a half feet wide with narrow paths in between, about one foot wide paths. So this is another thing Beattie and I do the same. We garden in beds so that we don't have to step on the soil once we prepare it, mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. way it stays fluffed up, well aerated, and mm -hmm. that's good for plant root growth. And so how long have you been in, been working away at this for <laughs> in the Lincolnville area? Zone 5 is a good zone, too, by the way, yeah. isn't it? It might been, have been knocked up to another. Yeah, are you, are you I think we did now? get half yeah. a zone warmer yeah. with the last USDA yeah. map for climate zones. Um, 
we've been in Lincolnville since 1985. All right. So, so I'm not quite the relic Beattie is, but. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, okay, Beattie, how about you? Where are you? Well, we got here in, in 75, and we got here at the end of May and June, and I had my oldest daughter out. Several of us were sick. She was out there putting, turning the first bed of sod, and boy, she was only 14. And, you know, and then we just built bed after bed down the hill. It's, it's a small backyard, but I've always uh, found ground in other people's backyards, community garden, and now I help with a garden across the road, which is for senior citizens, residents, and food pantry. So at the moment I have two gardens, but I've had five in town. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not doing it enough. Um, not loud enough. Um, so I've always had as much space as I wanted by begging or finding space other places. So are you in the Lincolnville area also? I'm in Camden. I'm right in town. And you can feel the difference of the weather going up and down the hill. It's incredible. You know, it's like inland and out in the water and closer to the water. Yeah. So what kind of zone are you, do you think you're a five, five and a half? I like this five and a half five zone. A or B. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're cooler in the spring and we have a really long fall, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Modulated by the ocean. We might be the same district, but we're really not the mm-hmm. same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm not very far from Jean and I'm, I think I'm closer to a four. Yeah. Right. I'm quite yeah. a, and actually it's funny. It's like where my house is compared to even in the end of the the driveway my driveway is about a quarter of a mile long and my neighbors across the road will have stuff like her daffodils and things are up a week ahead of mine almost and you know it's just that mm-hmm. distance so i think i'm just in a little bit of a cold pocket or might something for some reason might be the asphalt well too. no they're no. not that close no. to the road no it's it's far enough away that it, that wouldn't be having an but effect. i would imagine it's that almost everyone that's that's has the opportunity to listen to us today probably has their ground that's not frozen anymore oh and yeah things are starting no to snow no snow <laughs> <laughs> so we're all starting to think about the fact okay now's a great time to get outside and mm-hmm. do some things so Jean you know you, you started speaking to what some of the first chores that you folks like to do yep just turning over the soil pulling back any mulch that we've put on over winter um, this is another thing BD and I do I don't think either of us grows cover crops over winter because we're gardening right till the end of fall Mm -hmm. and so we cover our soil with leaves and grass clippings to protect it over winter mine mine are just covered with the weeds that have come in and then i start (laughs) pulling them out yeah i I eat a lot of them dandelions Um, are a great cover yeah yeah (laughs) i well yeah nettles um you don't want them in your garden but they're good early on um, I do a lot with leaves, so I'm piling the leaves on the leaf pile that are then going to break down and be turned into compost in the fall. And I might put some compost on now inside the tomato cages. I'm, I was saying most of my chores are, are sort of hardware chores. It's like, I mean, I'm digging, I'm turning the soil, but sometimes I don't get to that until I'm actually going to plant. And so it's like bringing the plant supports out, um, figuring out how I might keep the chickens off, the neighbor's mm-hmm. chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of hauling hardware and leaves around is what I've been So doing. it's sort of getting the whole landscape organized right. mm-hmm. and getting yes. things ready. Yes, so you, when, you, when you 
when you want to go, you're ready. You're ready to go, getting things yeah. out of the barn, so yeah. to speak, or the shed. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah I just wrote, sat and wrote down my rotation so that I'd know where to put one and what I needed to get tilled right. and, and done for this year so I knew how many beds I needed because I'm increasing what I grew from last year alone, not as much as years before. So um, I've got a lot in that's been in cover, permanent cover yeah, crop that actually cover. my, yeah, I do a cover crop. Great. And my... Uh, cow has been on my cows and, and donkey have been on the um, part of my garden because it was cover crop and I'd put it into rye and now it's it's just this amazing patch of clover and a little bit of orchard grass which I actually have to be very careful and not have let them eat too much of but they love that to get in there yeah. so how soon I'm going to turn that in and make it back to garden mm-hmm. again I'm not too sure because it's just such a good source of feed for them. So, so we, we're talking a little bit about getting the soil ready uh, mm-hmm. and I know you folks have got a strategy in which you, you use a lot of grass and a, gra- a lot of, of leaf clippings. Uh, I actually do do a small cover crop but by the time I get it in it's like November. Yeah, okay, and it's really pretty late. So right now I've made me have a few, you know, a little bit of winter rye. So I know I pull mine and just sort of let it sit mm-hmm. on the top until I'm ready to plant. So Yeah, and I till mine. We have a fire a tiller and put it on the back of the tractor. I mean, it's small. Our mm-hmm. garden isn't that big, but it's just a chance to get my husband likes to use the tractor. So <laughs> <laughs> Everybody likes to play with their toys, right? <laughs> when, when do you put your cover crop in? Well, I'm not as early as I should because That's I'm, the problem. I'm but a lot of times what I do is like there's still some cabbage and um, broccoli plants out there that I never got pulled out, but there's rye underneath them. I just go out and I spread the stuff like late in the fall, I don't know, September, I guess, and then it, it actually chant comes up underneath of the stuff that's still there that I'm still eating from. So that's yeah, kind of that the way around it. Exactly. Yeah. One way around it is to plant in between rows of broccoli and other crops like that. I have heard that you have to be careful not to get the cover crop in the broccoli head because it might sprout oh. right in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would so be messy. Yeah, That would be kind of fun. That would be an interesting <laughs> crop to, to yeah. try yeah. to harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it gets moldy. Yeah, so we've got... Go ahead, Jean. Uh, I was going to talk about composting a little. Yes, Just sure. a couple of my favorite ways to compost, and this is what I've been doing this week. Mother's Day is coming up. Everybody should know that. Um, Good time to turn the compost pile for Mother. (laughs) (laughs) I got an early Mother's Day gift, which is bales of hay. So I make a compost bin out of hay bales. I think that's just about the easiest way to compost. Oh, what a good plan. (laughs) So you actually take the bales and make a square. square. Two bales high Mm -hmm. and then just start filling that. And I'm beyond the point where I'm going to turn compost anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't ask anyone to do that for me. um, So... I know that I may not kill all the weed seeds and pathogens in the compost because I'm not turning it and getting it heated up three times, but this is my home garden, so I'm not too worried about that. So I just compost right within the hay bales, and then I can cover that with soil a year or so later, and the hay bales themselves will begin to decompose. So then you just end up with this raised bed that you can plant right in. Oh, well, that's a very interesting thing. I like that theory a lot. So you ne- you just build the ha- just build the bales. Mm-hmm. Compost you- right in there. Uh-huh. And then so d- do you contribute to it like all summer? How long yep. does it take you to fill that up? It takes most of the summer. Mm-hmm. So scraps from the house or the garden, oh, weeds, anything like that. Mm. Um sometimes if it's broken down enough, I'll spread it out over a whole bed. Mhm. But Timing wise, maybe I'll just leave it there and plant right in it. Plant squash in it, and mm-hmm. it will grow out over the edges. So, it's a good how much way to grow did it. the hay bale cost? Enough to do that? 
It costs nothing for me because it was a gift. <laughs> I know. But, you know, if somebody's going to give you a gift, it should be something that okay. will decompose. <laughs> My basic philosophy no, well, on gift giving. Something you giving. can eat or that would decompose. Or eat. Yes, yes right. <laughs> ultimately, that decomposes, too. Yeah. Um, $3 a bale in Lincolnville for... Okay, mulch, right now. Mulch, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's a great... So I have eight bales. You can make it with eight bales. So that would okay. be $24. Okay. Plus you're yeah. getting all that fertility. Oh, yeah. No. Well, that's a great That's a great yeah. idea. Now, how do you find that the hay decomposes? I mean, you don't get any, uh, like, grass or weed seeds? There are some weed seeds in it. Sure. Um, this is something I find a lot of people don't know the difference between hay and straw. Mm-hmm. So hay is just the whole plant cut for hay. Straw is what's left after the grain has been harvested. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people recommend making straw bale compost bins or using straw for mulch because it shouldn't have so many weed seeds in it. Right. Um, I just don't worry so much. I have a lot of organic matter in my soil after doing this for years and years. So it's pretty easy to pull the weeds out when they sprout. When it comes when the hay starts sprouting, I'll just turn it over a little by hand. Just mm-hmm. lift up a leaf of hay and turn it over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, that's a great uh, that's a great idea. I'm going to write this one down. <laughs> we got another one. <laughs> my second favorite way of composting. Well, these are my two top favorites. Um, my son made one of those compost barrels for me. Mm-hmm. You can buy them, but they're pretty expensive. But he got one of those big blue plastic barrels. Those are bait barrels we call where we come from. Bait barrels? Yeah, they're bait barrels. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes they had fruit in them from... Right, right. Yeah, I've had ones that had orange juice. Yeah, right. Right. So he drilled holes in it, cut an opening, and put a wooden door on it so Mm -hmm. I can feed compost into that. And he has it set up on an A-frame set up. So fill it up and turn it. And that's where I put things like if I'm putting onions that aren't looking so good anymore and I don't want the rest of the garden to be exposed to any potential pathogens in the onions. I put them in there. They heat up better and they're a little more secluded from the rest of the garden. Oh, that's a very good idea. Sometimes I've been putting some onions or some leftover potatoes in my compost Mm -hmm. and then the next Uh thing you know, what do I have growing in the compost is a hill of potatoes. So And you have to watch out that you're not spreading disease. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to, because that's the one thing with compost, if you don't get it hot enough, any kind of disease stuff. So that's Mm -hmm. a really good way to balance stuff out. Good thought. Um, that's a very good thought. In case you're just joining us, this is Common Ground, hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardens Association. And I'm joined today by some very talented home gardeners, and we're talking about some of our spring garden chores. And this is your community radio station, 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. Um, so I like those two great composting ideas. Go ahead, Beatty. I just, um, I had wanted to know how Diane uh, cultivates the garden because I think both of us are just fork and I want to, you know, having a small machine would would be neat. I wouldn't need it, but um, you did tell us what you turned it with. Well, I mean, used to be we had, we have a Troy built tiller, you know, and we use that. Um, Before that, I always used to do everything by hand. And then as the garden got bigger, it was just a little more than I could handle anymore. Mm -hmm. And and time-wise and all that stuff. So we got the Troybill tiller, but now we actually borrow a, a, a tiller that goes on the back of the tractor. Mm-hmm. And it's only four feet wide, yeah. I think. And um, so we go across, actually, right. and not up and right. down. So I don't have... I mean, my beds are still in the same place every year because, um, you know, we measure it out, and that's where they go. So they always end up in the same place, but we end up tilling in between and kind of cross-cultivating. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Um, 
because we'll go across the garden, not up and down the way uh, the rows go. So, yeah, so I, well, I think I'm, we're mixing up soil from one place yeah. to the other. So I wonder how potent my uh, my rotation, rotation right. ends it's, up being. Yeah. So I'm but, I'm really happy with a fork, and especially being right in town. There's you know, it, it, yeah, and, it's hard but, to get a but how long will I be able to do it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, that's the reason for doing things with mulch and stuff. The way you do it, you don't really yeah. need to till. Right. I mean, you could probably do a lot of it with just a grape hoe and not even have to, you know, one of those things that's got the big tines on it and just mm -hmm. kind of drag that through. I'm learning mm -hmm. about tools now because mm -hmm. all I had yeah. did, used was a fork. Now I'm learning about hoes and <laughs> um, rakes and all these foreign objects, yeah. you know. Yeah, because I tilled, I turned over my pea bed this just last couple of days ago and I did it all with the fork because I was kind of doing it in the same place where I had beans last year so the fence is all still up so you can't get in there with the tiller so I had to do it all by hand and yeah. it wasn't you know it, I mean I was doing it but I was looking at it thinking I probably don't even need to do this because I'm actually a lot of the microorganisms and stuff are on that top layer and that's the kind of thing you want to continue. And when you turn it over, yeah. you're bringing up all the lower soil that doesn't have a lot of yeah. those microbes in them. So you've got to repopulate everything again. So if you just loosen stuff, you're actually doing almost as, I think, almost a better yeah. job in a yeah. lot of ways. That's the reason for that, um, oh, what do they call that big fork, that oh, big that broad fork yes. thing that you actually just stick in and, ro you know, kind of wiggle around Maybe instead I'll move of... To uh, that. Yeah, I think that would actually, and you can just do it mostly, it's just by weight. You don't have to have a lot of strength. Yeah. yeah, some of my beds I've had so long that they don't have too many weeds in them anymore. Mm -hmm. And I do just, I don't use a broad fork. I find that just a little too hard on my shoulders at oh, this point. Okay. But I have um, a hay fork that I just j can jump on, oh. dig it down into the soil, and pull it back and, and forth, loosen and loosen up. the soil. And then I move yeah. back six inches and do it again. With mm -hmm. the thin tines? Then? Yep, very yeah. thin tines. Okay, so even easier to get in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, we, we're, we, we, we're getting our soil all prepared, so I'm getting very excited. So what am I going to do next? Can I plant my peas? <laughs> Can I just add one more thing yes. about soil prep? We did get someone contacting Mofka warning us to watch out for manure and hay that you bring into the, your garden or farm that might have been treated or on a farm where they used um, an herbicide, an aminopyrrolid herbicide mm -hmm. that can survive composting. It can be present in hay and manure. It goes right through the animals that eat the Say hay. Say the kind again. Amino pyrrolid. Okay. Um, related to clopyrrolid. So when one does so bring in organic material, they do need to check it very carefully. Just know your source okay. and ask if the farmer has used this herbicide on their hay and if the animals on the farm have been feeding on hay that's been treated with that. Because okay. it can... It'll go through the manure. It'll go through wow. the manure. Hmm. And it, you won't be able to grow tomatoes, potatoes, beans, peas. It's oh, really? that long-lasting. Okay. So okay. Well, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be great later. as much as I enjoy my, my homegrown tomatoes. That would not be a good thing at all. And the other thing is when you say herbicides, at least to um, lawn maintenance people, they uh, or pesticides, they don't realize that herbicides are pesticides. So mm -hmm. they say, oh, no, no pesticides on this grass if you're accepting right. from somebody else. And they really didn't realize that mm -hmm. it could have that in it. That must be yeah. something that, you know, where you live in town, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do lawn applications. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I know when we used to live in Bangor, we were the only house on the street that had a crop of dandelions. <laughs> it was a beautiful crop. <laughs> I'm always suspicious of lawns that don't have dandelions. <laughs> <laughs> They're good eating. So. Yeah, and good for pollinators. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's true. So, Very true. Yeah. It's they, one of the early 
things that gets out there and the pollinators has yeah. something to go by. Yeah. yeah, and their tap roots are so nice and deep. They bring up a lot of nutrients to make available to plants around them that, mm -hmm. that wouldn't the, be available otherwise. The other thing is when you pull out dandelions or don't pull them out, you find worms clustered. You know, it's always richer around the dandelion root. Mm -hmm. I think they have sugars or something. That, yeah, all the exudate from their and roots. And there's stuff for the earthworms to go for, so... So we had a, a very vibrant crop of dandelions, and I, I happen to know that the rabbits love them too. So mm -hmm. they're good. They're, yeah, not only did we enjoy them, but so did the rabbits. So, mm -hmm. so we've got our soil being prepped. We're going to be cautious on our organic material that we add, making sure that it comes from a source that we know and trust and doesn't contain any herbicides and pesticides. What else? What's next on the list here? <laughs> the list is pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't discourage us now. <laughs> That's a good Seeds, thing. Seedlings. Uh, yep. Seeding and seedlings. Really, it's time to be... The weather's been great, as mm -hmm. you mentioned. The soil is dry almost everywhere now, dry enough to be out there planting. Mm -hmm. So um, some of us have carrots and spinach and things that overwintered. Those are ready to harvest now. Okay. Parsnips. Oh, parsnips. Oh, oh, to dig your spring parsnips, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I would add to leave some parsnips in to go to flower. Yeah. Because last year I did that, and they have these beautiful. They're not beautiful, they're but they're just huge they're umbels, lavish, mm -hmm. and they attract so many insects, so many pollinators and beneficial insects to the garden. So how tall? I've never I've never seen a, a parsnip flower. Um, really, way over my head. Really, I would say they're eight. carrot family. So, but they're not pretty. I mean, you know, they're green. They're, yeah, <laughs> but, but they have those tiny flowers that insects can get into easily well the carrot now correct me if i'm wrong but is not the uh queen anne's lace mm -hmm. the wild, wild carrot wild carrot well mm -hmm. that's a lovely bloom yeah, yeah but mm -hmm. if they're not as pretty as that no mm -hmm. okay big and lovage does it too and that's the same family i have that in several edge places and now's a good time to eat the stalks when they're coming up they're like mm -hmm. very nice celery mm -hmm. <clears throat> so what types of things can one be planting now? Obviously, I don't think I'm going to be putting my tomato seeds in the ground. But, and, and I suppose, I'm, I don't know about you folks, but I run around with a thermometer and take my soil temperature. Do, is that my... <laughs> I know you're an engineer. So. <laughs> I, <don't... laughs> yeah. I don't do that. I just go by feel and okay. years of doing things on the same, around the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be transplanting lettuce and kale and things that I started inside the cool weather crops, the ones that can take the low night temperatures now, but um, anything that is not cold tolerant, like tomatoes and peppers, I'm waiting until about Memorial Day to transplant them out. So I start them indoors. I bring them into the house in the evening, put them out in the attached greenhouse during the daytime mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. it's warm enough. Um, well, so if folks didn't have the luxury or the time to start their own mm -hmm. seedlings, I know there's a number of, of garden centers and mm -hmm. even actually uh, some of the farmer's markets I, right. I spoke about. I know a lot of our farmers start seedlings and bring them to farmer's markets for mm -hmm. folks to start. And the Fedco tree sale is this coming weekend up at um, in Clinton, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of... Um, seedlings there from Checkerberry Farm, oh. I know for sure. Oh, so good. And so I actually got some stuff in the, Well, I'm... I, ordered stuff so I got to go last weekend so I got um, some things last weekend. It's really fun to go up to Clinton and see what they've got. Oh you know, yeah. It's, you know. it's just a blast. Yeah. It's a long way but 
I, I love going <coughs> just to see what other people are growing. And then I can, I, of course, I'm a food hoarder, so then I'll bring them all home and want to plant them all. So so you basically, your lettuces, your mm-hmm. chards, your spinaches, all your greens, all yep. your cold tolerant, yep. cool, cool, cold. Cool season crops, right. Yep. Um, and you can direct seed carrots and beets right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we do have a garden calendar on Mafka's website. If you, The website name is really long, but if you just put into your search engine, uh, Mafka Garden Calendar, it mm-hmm. should come up for you. And that tells you the appropriate time mm-hmm. when you should be thinking about planting things. Right. When to start things indoors, mm-hmm. when to start them outdoors, and when to transplant them outdoors. So is it is it too soon now to be starting things like tomatoes and some of your pepper plants? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit late almost to be is it really oh really yeah. Yeah. okay well i i don't ever start my tomatoes till actually i should have done them a couple of days ago but i don't start them till later because even putting them out in my hoop house if i put them out when they're really big i feel like i'm setting them back just as yeah. much as trying to do them later yeah. six weeks so. of age is a good time to set yeah. them out so yeah. i figure if i'm setting them out on memorial day i start them around april 15th so one has to sort of adjust track backtrack from when you think you're going to be planting mm-hmm. now i'm more like beady in that we have a very very slow spring because mm-hmm. we're right on mm-hmm. the ocean but our i don't sometimes have a fa- frost until december but i really can't often plant until june into uh-huh. the middle of june i can't get my tomato plants in because my soil temperature you know yeah. running right. around with my little <laughs> thermometer here my soil temperature doesn't get above 50 degrees i put i put jugs over them as a sort of greenhouse jugs with their tops off mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if i mean if you have really big plants then that doesn't do but i plant the plant them deep and i put the jugs over them and then i have to remember to take the jugs off or open them if it gets hot because you don't want to fry them up right <coughs> so so folks should really pay attention to the zone and their local conditions mm-hmm. and before they start you know getting very excited with all these yeah. tomato seed i see a lot of tomato seedlings right now and mm-hmm. i'm thinking it's you know i'm early. i'm very yeah. tempted we've had some beautiful days but we've had i, I it's been below freezing still in mm-hmm. the evening oh, yeah. time. you you learn your microclimate too i mean it's not just your zone it's your mm-hmm. microclimate but the other thing is that we've been having temperature extremes much more drastically up and down than i remember I remember really cold springs, really cold springs, mm-hmm. but now we get hot blasts and then, and then cold. get cold blasts. So. so it's a whole different how to take care of those plants going through those things. Mm-hmm. And, and later is probably better. I'll throw out Swiss chard as a fail-safe yeah. <laughs> crop that seems yeah. to be resistant and to those highs are, and lows. Mm-hmm. People are starting Swiss chard as seedlings now, and they do mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think you could always, do that. Oh, right? I always do that yeah. as a seedling yeah. and then yeah. let it grow really big. Yeah. Well, well the, I've done it both ways, depending upon you know how much time and how much ambition I have. But I found if I start the little seedlings, then I can identify the, col- you know, the bright <laughs> lights. <laughs> well, then I can play with the colors uh-huh. as I plant them. Yeah. Okay, all right. so. Yeah. But that's a, that's a fun thing to do too. So yeah. is to, and Swiss chard is one of those crops that just keeps giving and yeah. giving and giving. Yeah. So well, well, if you have any any tendencies towards um, oxalic acid, kidney Sen- stones, yeah. don't eat too much of it. <laughs> we, we we did that one year, and and it grows really well at my ho- in my gr- my greenhouse that's off the house, and it'll grow and doesn't get any bugs on it or anything. Mm-hmm. It went, went all winter long, and we ate a lot of Swiss chard one winter. But uh, my husband wasn't too happy when he got kidney stones. So. Yeah. Oh, that would so, be good. So that's yeah. a warning that comes with spinach, and right. also we. Fresh. Sorrel. Yeah. Sorrel. Sorrel is ready to eat now in the garden, by the way. And And even a lot of asparagus, too. Mm. 
um, Roberta has written an article about purslane for this coming issue of the oh, Mafka yeah. paper, mm-hmm. and that too can have some oh. oxalic acid in it, but it also has omega-3s in it. So yeah. so it's a balance. I mean, we have to find yeah. all these mm-hmm. foods yeah. that are that You just work. have to eat a lot of different stuff, right? Yeah, well, that's what they, uh, we nutritionists say, eat a wide variety of fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're just joining us, we welcome you. And this has been an exciting week here at WERU as, as we all celebrate the, the 25th anniversary and you're listening to Common Ground, an hour-long discussion of Maine farming and agriculture hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. I'm Cheryl Wixon, and I'm joined in the studio this morning by three very robust gardeners, home gardeners, and we are talking about (laughs) spring garden chores. (laughs) And uh, this is a time in the program that we uh, invite all of our WERU friends and community to to join us in the conversation. We'd love to have you give us a call and and join in in this discussion. The uh, phone number here in the studio is 469-0500. And uh, so we have Jean English, the editor of the uh, MOF and G paper, and uh, which has a number of different articles every quarter and resources, and they're all available online. Jean, you were just talking about the planting calendar, you said? Right. We have a calendar on Mafka's website that the calendar ran in the Mafka paper at one point, mm-hmm. and we've been gradually putting old issues of the Mafka paper on our website. So this one, if you just put into your search engine Mafka garden calendar, it should come up and tell you so that gives when me to plant. Sort of specs out for me when I should be what I should be doing when I should be planting. Right. So okay. Super. And uh, Diane Shavera, our livestock specialist, is here, and, and you do quite a, a good-sized garden, right? Yeah, we do most of, I usually grow most of our vegetables on good years. <laughs> so between, you know, keeping things in the freezer and uh, root cellar. And then, okay, great. I believe we have a caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Oops, I guess I was a little premature. (laughs) Oh, go ahead, Jean. Uh, I was talking a little bit about encouraging pollinators and Mm -hmm. beneficial insects to come to the garden. And one other thing I do is grow a type of sunflower called mammoth gray. It also grows very tall. And you can plant beans at the base of that pole beans okay about four seeds and let them grow up the stalk so the sunflower invites pollinators and it also serves to support the beans oh that's a good idea that's a, and but now when can you put your sunflower seeds in <clears throat> in my garden around memorial day okay all right but so i sometimes start them a couple of weeks ahead of time mm-hmm. indoors okay super i think we have a caller on the line good morning can you state your name and where you're calling from please yes good morning Catherine from appleton yes good morning Catherine. good morning um I want to tell everybody about a wonderful movie that you can Google called Back to Eden. And it's a beautiful um, movie that um, you just go to the site and you can just watch it. And it's all about wood chips and it's this farmer out in Oregon. And so last year I got from my um, man who delivers my cords, he has substantially composted wood chips. And so I got him to deliver me a dump load. Oh, gosh. A dump load. (laughs) That's a lot of shoveling. (laughs) But it was worth it. And so I just covered all my raised beds and made some new ones with this composted wood chips, which you think would be very acidic, but it's not. And I am going to try to do a new type of gardening this year. 
I would love to be doing the permaculture, but I just don't have the space. You know, that of the three sisters idea where you plant a stalk of corn, you plant the beans to grow up, and you plant the squash, and the three work together. But I just don't have the space. I live in a small property. And anyway, back to Eden. People should go and watch that movie. It's about two hours long, and it'll be um, worth your heartbeat. Put it that way. It's <laughs> definitely meaningful time to spend. And then let's not, let's not forget the seaweed that we can get. I go, go and gather um, the dried stuff that's come up from the, uh, the storms, and then I make a seaweed tea. And um, last year, my um, tomatoes got to be 14 feet high. And oh, very wow. productive. Wow. How did yeah. you harvest them? <laughs> With also the calcium from my, um, my uh, crushed... Um, Eggshells, Catherine. Eggshells. Mm. <laughs> Eggshells. for the words. But, yeah, I've already planted outside. I've already planted my kale, my spinach, and my lettuce. And it's all coming up. And um, my cat loves it. It's a kitty litter box. So I have to I get from the dump these wonderful um, screens that people are throwing out. And so I cover those beds so the cat won't dig. And then um, cover them at night if I think it's going to be really cold. But, yeah, I'm, I'm starting out. I don't start things inside, but I definitely am planting beets today. And I live in Appleton, mm. so it's not as warm as it is on the charmed coast of Camden. <laughs> it's not, not so warm. But oh. I can't find manure anywhere. Nobody seems to have any, any manure. I, just, I have horse farms all around me, and I would take that old manure. But I don't know. Maybe people are waking up and making compost, which is great. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you so much for okay. your call, Catherine. Love your program. All right. Thank you so much. So I think we have uh, another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Good morning. This is Mavis and Sullivan. Good morning. And um, something that I've always been puzzled about, um, you know, I work my garden with a fork and um, I, you know, I put on, put the amendments on top, the compost and the manure and then I turn it with the fork. Mm -hmm. And so I'm confusing all the layers of the soil. And I know if you use a broad fork, et cetera, you're supposed to keep the layers kind of as they are. But if you do that, then how do you get the amendments down into the root zone? Well, as this is Jean talking, as you put the broad fork, or as I use just a hay fork, put it in the soil, you wiggle it back and forth, and you can wiggle it pretty far back and forth, so you're creating channels, and I would say about half of that compost uh, sinks down mm -hmm. into those channels as you're doing that. You and wiggle it kind of from side to side? Side to side, back, I do it toward me and away from me. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah, the hay fork sounded like a good idea. That works better for me, other people like the broad fork. It just depends on how you built, I guess. Right, yeah. yeah where your strength is. Where right. your strength is, right. Okay, so you're not actually then tossing the soil. You're just sort of wiggling it around. That's right. The only time I would actually turn it over is if a bed has gotten ahead of me and it has too many weeds in it. Yeah. Right, because if you do start turning it over, then you're going to start all those weed seeds that may be way buried. You're going to start bringing those up to the top, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah uh, that's the other reason not to be turning stuff. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So, thank you so much, Mavis. Did thank that you help very you? Much. Yeah, thanks uh, for your call. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm no longer confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Whoa, that's a big okay. deal. <laughs> I'm gonna get out.
<laughs> All right, let's go. That was a that was a, a a good call. Thank you very much for 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 ringing in. So. All right, we have another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Hi, it's Chris, and I'm calling from Hancock, and I may be one of the world's laziest gardeners. <laughs> um, I want to hear people talk about growing potatoes in straw and how much you should put below it and where, when and where you put your amendments in and how much straw you should put on top of it. Oh. And I'm going to hang up and take your answer off the phone. Oh, hey. that, that's the way I've always, I did it for a long time was in the hay or straw. I'd get hay that w- didn't have a lot of weed seed in it, um, some um, I, that I knew that was at the right stage of its growth so that it wasn't um, having a lot of seed in it. But uh, I put the potato straight on the ground or else like put it in the ground just like, a, you know, just with my hand, just dig it in just so to, enough to cover it and then just put enough hay on top of it so that it's covered. And then as it grows, add more hay on top of it. Um, the only problem with that is that I found was that if I had any rodent issues, that the rodents really liked being underneath the hay or the straw. So a lot of my potatoes ended up chewed. So that kind of depends upon what your situation is like. And what about as far as uh, biological or, you know, any fertility amendments or something like that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't put anything. I okay. mean, I never really did. I kind of dig stuff into the soil before I got started. So, okay. okay. Yeah. How about they're, they're, they're not really big eaters, mm-hmm. and they want to be acid, so you don't want to add lime. Right. But I use town tr- uh, leaves, and I realize that people further in might have trouble getting them. I've been trying to hook country people up with city people so that they can get <laughs> from particular backyards where you know there's not a lot of garbage in it leaves and potatoes love leaves mm-hmm. i yep. put them on top of the ground especially in wet garden i have one really wet garden and then i put leaves on top and then i just keep adding leaves the only problem is if i forget towards the end of the season one tends to forget things <laughs> <laughs> then they'll be these sun uh, greened potatoes you know so you oh. have to keep after them right yeah yeah exactly I, I really don't have potato bugs mm-hmm. i mean i'm not sure that's across the board but yeah i know they did eric <coughs> always talks about how the using the, the hay or the straw for mulch on them helps keep the it really cuts, cuts down on the potato, potato beetle problems yeah right yeah the other thing just a quick um you don't want to put any manure in the the ground that you're growing potatoes because they don't like that they get right. scabbier Really, so it, it, it's that's a sounds like a great way for I won't call it a lazy well, it, gardener, but for an well, efficient. How about we call it an yeah, efficient well, gardener? Well, it makes it so you don't have to dig uh, dig the potatoes so much. You're just uh-huh. lifting the hay up, and it's like looking for chicken eggs under the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah, and a lot less stress. Or I don't know. You know, you go out there with the fork and you're trying to turn the potato, turn them over to get the potatoes, and, and they yes. always end up stabbing them, and it's so, so discouraging. <laughs> yes, it is. So. Oh, that was a great question. Thanks for that call, Chris. I think. I think we have a, another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Good morning. It's Sydney from Dover Foxcroft. Oh, good morning. Great show. It's, it's just exactly what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I, have, uh, I have oak trees, and I want to know what to do with these oak leaves. The only way I can actually do anything with them is mulch them up with a, with a lawnmower and then pick up the pieces because they never rot, and slug, slugs love them, and uh, they're all over the place and not that useful. And when you trim back some of your oak trees that will be shading your garden, uh, when you've got manure in there, their root system will come 
way, way, way out from the tree and in, invest into into your uh, beds. Uh, I finally got a Troy built uh, that I'm going to use around to kill off the uh, the roots so they won't go into the beds. And a, a useful tiller that I found to, uh, um, machine-wise is an old, old front-tying job, and you take the two outside ones off. So you've just got a small machine that can go in between your aisles and go in, and it raises up your uh, mounds for you. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for the call. Do you want to tackle that one, Beatty? Yeah, I have a magnificent oak tree in the backyard, and I do collect the leaves. And what I try to do with them is get them to break down more before I use them. I, I put them with other kinds of leaves as well, I must say, maple. Um, in a great big heap, and I leave it for the entire summer. They were pro they were collected the year before in bags around the house. And I let them, I mean, they break down with, with fungus, really, more than bacteria, and they sort of need to sit. Um, I do add urine, which the household produces, and, <laughs> and uh, by the end of the, by the end of the, of the season, I get some kind of nitrogen source, and then I compost them. So then those leaves, actually, the oak ones especially, don't go directly on the garden, although they can go under shrubbery. Um, they're great. They really aren't acid anymore after that, and I'm not sure anything that really breaks down composting it isn't acid anymore. So um, that's what I do with oak leaves. Oh, yes. Go ahead, Jean. At the end of the season, when all the leaves have fallen, my last mowing, I mow to collect leaves. Mm -hmm. And we have one of those bags on the mower that catches the clippings. Mm -hmm. So oh, I let yeah. I let the grass get a little higher at that point. So I'm mowing green grass and oak leaves and maple leaves primarily. And they're all getting chopped up and mixed uh -huh. together. That's your nitrogen source. So that's my nitrogen oh. source to help decompose the leaves. And yes. that's what I spread on the beds over winter. and. That's perfect. A lot of it is gone by yeah. spring and or it's all right. shredded and fine and right. It's so, beautiful stuff. So yeah. that's a good. Oh, that was a great call. Well, good, mm. good idea. We're, we're Kate, you're just joining us here on your community radio station WERU eighty nine point nine in Blue Hill and ninety nine point nine in Bangor. Uh, this is Common Ground, hosted by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, and we're having a very lively discussion about spring garden chores. If you have some some burning questions that you'd like to ask our prolific home gardeners here or just a comment we'd love to have you join in the conversation the number here in the studio is 469-0500 and we've been talking about leaves and compost and tilling and adding organic material and when's a good time to start plants and i'm getting very excited when i get out of here today i'm going to go right to my garden <laughs> i'm going to be planting my peas <laughs> uh, and jeans told us that we get there is a, a calendar that uh, on the mofka website that uh, one can can look at to, to sort of help gauge when you can be planting things and when you can be starting things in your own garden so um, I think we have a, a, another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? Yes, it's Catherine from Appleton again. Uh? I wanted to say something. I remember as a little girl, I was told, well, if you, if you cut an earthworm in half, <laughs> it'll, it'll become two earthworms. Not true. And I always feel badly about killing. Um, I know when you have a big garden, you probably have to do it, but you are killing all those earthworms. I mean, yes, it's adding to the soil and we're all on the food chain and blah, blah, blah. But that's why I am, I just, I'm more, I just don't disturb my soil. I just don't. 
Well, um, we'll keep those earthworms happy. <laughs> I know. They're just so beautiful. And remember, if things ever really, really get bad, you can dry them and, and pulverize them and sprinkle them, and they'll be protein. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks for the call. I think we have another caller on the line. Good morning. Could you state your name and where you're calling from, please? I'm Cindy, and I'm from Appleton. Oh, we, we got the Appleton we got crowd. Appleton. This <laughs> <laughs> I planted some old um, Brussels sprout seeds, never thinking they'd come up, and of course they all came up. <laughs> and uh, so they're quite big now. Should I plant them now or wait a little longer? Yeah. I usually put my cold crops out around May 15th. Okay, um, so that's just in case that's we get a, a cold crop. Yes. Okay. Um, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, oh, right. broccoli. You, you put them in seeds like that? Oh, I start the seeds indoors. Oh, okay. Um, earlier about a month earlier how oh. big would you let your brassicas get before you transplant them well i'm new at this so they're, um, they're very big they're like five or six inches tall and full leaves but i don't know how to harden them off either i've been putting them out during the day and keeping them in at night mm -hmm. that's a good start um for how long though till well, may 15th a couple of weeks is a good okay. amount of time to harden off um usually you can start so hardening off just means getting these plants that have had wonderful conditions indoors to grow. Yeah. Now they're going to be put outdoors in the bright sun and the wind and yeah. variable temperatures. One way to harden them off is just to put them outdoors for an hour the first day, two hours the second day, and so okay. forth. And then by the end of a couple of weeks, they'll be ready to go outside. Right. So if they're pretty big, you could put them outside um, almost any time now and cover them with a row cover. Okay. Yeah, I, I move mine in and out in like <laughs> several trays. And uh, I actually, when the sun gets too strong, I actually will have them in slight shade yeah. um, initially, and, and overcast days are good. Um, now I'm worried about <coughs> protecting my seedlings from the chickens, the neighbor's <laughs> chickens. But, <laughs> but, but bringing them in at night kind of reassures me, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, we were talking on the way up about the cheapest, easiest way to protect your plants from meandering chickens and I yeah. think row covers would be the easiest way to do that. It also keeps the flea beetles down mm -hmm. which I always yeah. find worse in this er, with yeah. young plants and earlier in the spring so. Right. Worse than chickens? <laughs> <laughs> no worse oh, yeah. <laughs> just in time t time period wise. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank okay. You. well great thanks for the call and if there's anyone else that would like to join us we do have time for a couple more quick calls the number here in the studio is 469-0500 and you're listening to Common Ground on your community radio station, and we're talking about spring garden chores. So, what else, Jean? Well, the, was it Catherine, I think, who mentioned the movie? Yes. And Earthworms, yes. and that made me think of the movie My Seven Years in Tibet, one of my favorite movies. They're building an outdoor, well, they're outdoors building a movie theater, and the Buddhist monks are going so slowly, <laughs> and the guy comes up and says, why is this taking so long? And he, he shows them they're carrying the earthworms <laughs> away from the site in their hands. <laughs> so they save all the worms, right? <laughs> they save all the worms and build a movie theater. So that's one thing you can do. Um, I wanted to mention also, I guess I'm thinking about lawns now because the, gra the grass is ready to be mowed and a lot of people will be doing that soon. Uh, the main board of pesticides control has a good site, website called Yardscaping that can tell you how to minimize or reduce or even eliminate any pesticides you might use on your garden, on your lawn. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that that would be an ab- excellent time. resource for folks to use <laughs> because I know some everybody has this this Im- many folks have this image of this very manicured green lawn in their mind that uh, is it would be difficult to maintain. Mm-hmm. So. And it also nutrients and pesticides can move from those manicured lawns into into your garden. groundwater and into your garden. But I'm thinking more of contaminating water. So yeah. that's a big push not to use those chemicals on your lawn. And one way to do that is not to mow your lawn too low. Mm-hmm. So if you keep, if you aim to keep your grass, say, four inches high and mow it when it gets six inches, mow it back down to four inches, you will shade out a lot of the weeds that would otherwise get in. So the, the length of the grass actually prevents the other weeds from taking over? Right. Oh. So if you do hate dandelions for some odd reason, that's one way to <laughs> outmaneuver them. Oh, I never, I never realized that. So four um, inches height, and then when it gets to six, cut it back. That's so. what I aim for. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Tukey's book on organic lawn care is also excellent. There's really no reason people should be putting any pesticides on their lawns. Anymore. I know because it just when it rains or whatever, it just washes down into mm-hmm. the storm rain, uh, storm drains, and then it goes into mm-hmm. our waterways and, right. and into the ocean. So yeah, that's 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 a, an excellent tip. So. Mm-hmm. I, ap- I appreciate that. There was another website that you mentioned too. Was a cooperative extension or for lawn care? No, no, for. Mm. Um, oh, I, I mentioned the pest control that's one, the one that yeah. gotpest.org, oh. which is the, uh, is the state, is it University of Maine? I can't mm-hmm. remember. It's a good reference for looking up bugs and what to do about them. It's IPM, it's not organic. Hopefully, it has some organic information on it too. But it really looked nice to use. I just looked at it this morning. But yeah. it's good for identifying pests, yeah. Yeah. and that's the first yeah. step: is to yeah. know what you're trying to know take what care you're of. trying to take care of, and then figure out if you can manage how yeah. you can manage it. Didn't it. have everything, but you know, there's a lot out there. Mm-hmm. Really good pictures. Right, right. Yeah. So, I have a really good example of that in my greenhouse. Um, we uh, I had had this really ugly caterpillar-looking thing, and you're immediate reaction is to squoosh it you know <laughs> well after i squooshed it i went and looked and, to see what it was and it was a ladybug larva and it was like oh, oh what a mistake that was so never do it again they are really ugly scary looking things well, i think if you like did them ta- under a microscope they'd be they, yeah. they look related to potato bug larva oh. you know mm-hmm. the little prick sort of points mm-hmm. coming up around yeah uh, uh, Speaking of which, something that we often have, although we haven't this year because it's been so dry, is slugs. Oh, Uh -oh. let's talk about slugs. (laughs) (laughs) So nice. I was telling my friend, (laughs) Vidi, (laughs) that, you know, you hear about people saying cut slugs in half with scissors to kill them as you're... I just can't bring myself to do that. I, I do the my seven years in Tibet. Yes. Thing. Sometimes I just carry them to a place where I hope Chickens they'll be happier. Like mm-hmm. Chickens. Well, the small of, ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when, and I also use sluggo mm-hmm. sometimes, which yes. is iron phosphate, and that is probably the easiest and most effective way to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. But when I mentioned to Beatty that I, I can't stand the idea of cutting them in half, she said, well, that's why I de-slime them and eat them. <laughs> well, I, I cured my my slug phobia by doing that and preparing them as though they were snails but now i hardly have any snails i have i mean slugs i have snails mm-hmm. instead and that's what we have on the coast yeah yeah we do we do yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a lot of slugs last and snails. year year before last i guess was the first time i'd ever seen them in my garden it was like oh my gosh where did those come from they're moving in mm-hmm. yeah well i tell you i had read actually that if you even uh where i used to stomp on them slugs slugs yeah. that uh their eggs would still survive 
so here I would be stomping on them, right. and they, and what they had for eggs in them would still survive. So I actually do what I call slug patrol every morning when it's still quite early. I take a jar with some soapy water in it and a pair of tongs, and I go. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to touch them. <laughs> well, they're so slimy. Yeah, it's hard to get it off your well, hands. Yeah, after. it is. And I go out and do a little slug patrol, and I put them all in my. I save some of my old glass jars and just collect them and. Um, but I, I, I with like Beatty, I've been doing this now for a few years, and my slug population is diminishing, even though I live in mm-hmm. the middle of the woods. But my snail population is going up. So if anyone has any suggestions on the snails and what to do, that would be a great... Uh, well, they're not as slimy to pick. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and I wonder if I crush the shell, that, that nice... Does that add some calcium to the soil? <laughs> Probably does. The, those little little so transparent welcome. ones crush really easily. Yes, mm-hmm. right. They do. So you know, it's all the joys of all the creatures that we that we see when we're. <laughs> what are some of the other pests that people might want to look out for? Be aware of. Well, I think your idea of going out in the morning and doing a patrol works for a lot of different insects mm-hmm. like cucumber beetles and potato mm-hmm. beetles and yeah. everything. So and then the Japanese beetles. Japanese that are, beetles. Do you have them yet? No, they're I, coming. They're oh, please don't. We <laughs> had we we had so many when we lived in Bangor. I mean, because we were close to the golf course, we had so many. And now I have not yet had one. And I used to do the same thing with Japanese beetles as well. Yep. Pick them yeah. first thing in the morning. Yeah. yeah. If you bring a kind of a large bucket of soapy water, you can just brush several of them up oh, onto it. Yeah. And all these things, if you sort of let them be partly, they decline over time. Things find them. I've mm-hmm. found with slugs and snails and Japanese beetles. We had our explosion earlier on Route 1. Um, they really, they're not as explosive anymore. So. There is a parasite that's affecting Japanese beetles now. Oh. So if you see a beetle with little white dots coming out of its thorax, that those are eggs. Don't that kill those. Don't kill them. Leave them. Oh, and I've seen excellent. them with up to five, five or six oh, little wonderful. white dots. So, so for those of us that believe in letting the environment reach its own natural balance, there is something coming there's up. Hope. The, there's hope for those hated Japanese beetles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, that's exciting. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's right. And skunks eat grubs, too. I mean, oh, I don't yeah. really like skunks that much, but oh, <laughs> I'm always happy to see where they've... But they are very effective in, in keeping down... Oh, the other thing for Japanese beetles, the there's a um, something that lives on the roots of peonies that actually... Mm-hmm helps destroy the larva f- or the, the grubs from the Japanese beetles. So you can just plant lots of peonies. That's my excuse <laughs> that for wonderful. getting another peony <laughs> another, every another, year. Another, <laughs> that's a good idea. I'm have them everywhere. Uh, well, I, we're, we're really coming down to the, the end of what has been a very lively discussion. I, I want to thank uh, Diane. I want to thank Jean. I want to thank Beatty for joining us here. And uh, please be sure to check out the Farm Fresh auction from WERU on June 6th. And Common Ground will be returning again next month on June 7th. Our next show will be on homesteading. And so for the Common uh, Maine Organic Farmers and Gardens Association, this has been Cheryl Wixon. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank my very patient and tolerant engineer, Amy. And <laughs> we'll catch you next month. Thanks so much. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported nonprofit organization working